morning, everyone. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them waiting when he comes. In our gospel reading today, we find what is a recurring virtue of the Christian faith in Scripture, and especially in Jesus' teaching in the Gospels. Preparedness. Readiness. The master is away, but he has promised to return. And the faithful servants are the ones who remain vigilant, expecting him at any moment. But it's not easy. The master has been gone a long time, and no one's exactly sure when he's coming back. It's very easy in such situations to get a little antsy, isn't it? Start to let your guard down a little bit. I don't know if you remember maybe being a child and your mom or your dad were away, but they had given you some task to do while they were gone. Maybe you even had good intentions to take care of it quickly. But wow, when they're not there, those intentions start to wobble really quickly, don't they? And you put it off. And then you get wrapped up in doing something else. And then suddenly they're back, and you haven't done the thing they gave you to do. You didn't blow it off on purpose. You meant to do it, but you ran out of time, and they came back a little unexpectedly. You were not ready for their return. Jesus returns to this theme a number of times. This passage, Luke 12, which we just read, has parallels in Matthew and in Mark. So all three synoptic gospel writers saw fit to include it. Matthew expands on it, as you may remember, in the parable of the ten virgins. The ten virgins are all waiting for the bridegroom to arrive, but he's a long time coming. And all ten of them get drowsy and fall asleep. But five of them had thought ahead to bring extra oil for their lamps, while the other five had not. So when the cry goes up, the bridegroom is coming, the five with oil in their lamps are ready to join the feast, but the other five have run out, and they have to hurry away to buy oil quickly before the feast begins. By the time they get back, the feast has started, and they have been left out. They pound on the door to be let in. Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But the bridegroom says, quite Strikingly, truly I tell you, I never knew you. It's about being ready. Later in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 21, Jesus says this. Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a snare. For it will come upon all who dwell upon the face of the whole earth, 
but watch at all times. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, we read, You yourselves know that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. That thief in the night image is also in our own gospel reading this morning. I could add other examples, but you get the picture. This is a repeated theme throughout all of Scripture, and especially in Jesus' own teaching. We hear this theme echoed, too, in the stories of the Transfiguration and of Gethsemane. Both times, Jesus goes off to pray with his disciples, and both times, they fall asleep. And they are not ready for what comes next. In Gethsemane, Jesus specifically asks them to watch and pray with him. Three times, he asks them, Three times they fall asleep. Could you not watch with me for one hour, he asks. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. But they can't. And sure enough, they are not ready for what's coming. When Jesus is arrested, they run away. We can maybe have a little understanding for the disciples here. They didn't know that Jesus was about to Uh, suffer and die. To them, it was just another night praying with Jesus. But then maybe it was because they weren't paying attention (laughs) that they didn't know what was about to happen. Maybe they ought to have had some idea of what was coming. Jesus had, after all, told them many times. They ought to have seen it, but they didn't. And they were so, so sleepy. Isn't it the same with us? We miss what Jesus is doing because we are so sleepy and so distracted. We think just another late night praying with Jesus or just another ordinary day. And we let ourselves get distracted by the cares of this world. We're more interested in our own comforts than in prayer. So we aren't ready when things do inevitably happen. It's in this sense that the Anglican theologian Rowan Williams compares the Christian life to bird watching. He writes this The experienced bird watcher, sitting still, poised, alert, not tense or fussy, knows that this is the kind of place where something extraordinary suddenly bursts into view. Sometimes, of course, it means a long day sitting in the rain with nothing very much happening. I suspect that for most of us, a lot of our experience of prayer is precisely that. And I think that living in this sort of expectancy, living in awareness, your eyes sufficiently open and your mind both relaxed and attentive enough to see that when it happens, is basic to discipleship. End quote. The Christian life, which is, of course, the life of prayer, is just this kind of alertness and readiness. We wait and watch not only because we know that Christ is coming back, but also because we know that he has already acted in the world and continues to act. We watch with expectation for the things he is already doing. This readiness and alertness is our basic posture as Christians. And the things scripture describes as the opposite, sleepiness, distractedness, the pursuit of vain and selfish pleasures are the playgrounds of sin, death, and the devil. 
want us to notice a few things in particular about our gospel this morning. First, in verse 35, Jesus asks two things of his disciples. They must stay dressed and ready for service, and they must keep their lamps lit. Be dressed and ready for service. It's really let your loins be girded. Girding your loins, you may know, was a common idiom in the culture of the Bible. It meant tucking up your long robe into your belt uh, so that it wouldn't get in your way while you were doing some task. If your loins were girded, you weren't just hanging out. You weren't just taking your ease. You were ready to get to work. Once again, this is a posture. Christ is telling his disciples to stay in a constant state of readiness. No kicking back or putting your feet up. At a moment's notice, you have to be ready to get to work. Just go ahead and keep your loins girded all the time. As Christian disciples, this is to be our regular mode of life. Second, he tells them to keep their lamps burning. This is developed a little more in Matthew, where, as we've already seen, Jesus tells the parable of the ten virgins, half of whom have their lamps ready to go, half of whom do not. This is part of their readiness. Keep the lights on. When the bridegroom returns, the place must be well lit and ready for him. Light is a rich theme in all of the Bible. There are lots of lovely ideas that we might find here. Uh, Some have read these lamps as being Holy Scripture, for instance, which we must keep burning brightly in our master's absence. This is fundamentally about keeping the place ready for the master's return. It's keep the home fires burning. Don't let the house get cold or dark. That brings us to the next thing I want us to notice. Look in verse 36. Jesus tells his disciples that they should be like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. This is the context of the first two commands, to keep their loins girded and their lights burning. The master has been away, solemnizing his marriage. Now he returns home to complete and consummate it. In the context of the Bible, Christ is the bridegroom, and his bride is the church. Here, Christian disciples must be ready for Christ to return to his bride. Christ is, of course, always with us by his Spirit, but he is also away at the right hand of the Father. And we await his return and the great wedding feast of the Lamb that is coming. Our constant readiness is our anticipation of that great feast. This is a repeated theme in many of Christ's parables. Think about how many of Christ's parables have to do with wedding feasts. And also about masters who have gone away but have promised to come back. These tropes in Christ's parables teach us something about our situation as Christian disciples. We are servants awaiting the return of our master. We await a great feast. May he find us ready when he comes. Notice, too, that the hour is getting late. Verse 38 says, he may well come very late, even in the middle of the night or towards daybreak. And the servants are expected to sit up for him. 
Their faith, is be, their faith is being tested. Where is he? Is he really coming? We all know what it's like to wait for someone who said they were coming, but hasn't shown up yet. <laughs> There's a kind of psychology that kicks in, isn't there? We start to think, they're not coming. <laughs> Maybe these servants should give up and call it a night. But no, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or towards daybreak. In other words, it will be good for those servants who keep faith, who expect their master to be as good as his word. It's the ones who believe their master's promise, even in the face of apparent evidence to the contrary, who will receive their reward. Finally, I want us to notice this uh, picture in verses 39 and 40 of the thief in the night. If the owner of the house knows exactly when a thief is going to try and break in, the thief would never have a chance. The owner would sit up and be ready for him. The thief's only chance is to try to take the owner of the house by surprise, to wait until their guard is down. So the owner of the house must remain constantly vigilant. The idea, of course, is not that Christ is a thief trying to break in so much as, like a thief, he will come when we don't expect. Like a thief, he will surprise us all. We can't bet on him coming at any certain time. The only answer is constant readiness, constant preparedness. We have to keep watch. The disciples are pictured here as the servants of Christ. The word is actually slaves, which can make us pretty uncomfortable today, and understandably so. It's not an easy concept for us in our day. But it is an idea that Paul picks up in his own epistles, that we are the slaves of Christ. Here in Luke, it is as Christ's slaves that we must gird our loins. That is the posture of a slave, after all, ready to serve at all times. It is as Christ's slaves that we must keep our lamps lighted and keep the place ready for our master's return. But now we come to my favorite part. Verse 37. It will be good for those servants, slaves, whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. We'll have them recline at the table and we'll come and wait on them. Christ himself now takes the role of a servant or of a slave. He will dress himself to serve. This is the exact same phrase from verse 35. Christ will gird his loins, just as he demanded that his disciples gird their loins. The master doesn't come home and demand that his slaves continue to wait on him as we would fully expect. Instead, he trades places with them. This is a great reversal, an astonishing turn of events. The slaves now find themselves the honored guests at the party. The slaves are, in fact, themselves Christ's bride. Christ has redeemed his bride. Now he delights to serve her. 
and as with everything Christ commands us to do. He himself is our great example. He commands us to serve humbly, but he himself has already taken the lowliest place. He commands us to gird our loins, but he himself first girded his loins in the upper room when he washed his disciples' feet. He commands us to watch and pray, but he himself already watches and prays the whole night through on our behalf. We fall asleep. He never does. We can only obey Christ's command to watch and pray because he himself has already done it. And even now we obey only by participating in his prayers. We remain vigilant in Christ's own vigilance. We gird our loins to work, but only through Christ's work, which is already done. The lights we keep burning are his own lights. The light of Holy Scripture, the light of the gospel, the bright light of Christ himself who banishes all darkness. And when we have done this duty, not from obligation, but out of joy and in great gratitude, he himself delights to serve us again. There's a wonderful poem by the Anglican priest and poet George Herbert that I'd like to end with. Uh, George Herbert wrote in the 17th century. His poems are treasures of Christian piety. This is one of his best-known poems. It's called Love Three. He wrote several poems called Love, so this is the third one. Christ, who is called love in this poem, is welcoming the poet into his presence. But the poet is ashamed of his own sin and is holding back. He protests that he is unworthy, but Christ keeps on insisting that he come in. So the poem is a dialogue between Christ himself and the ashamed and unworthy poet. It's very short. Let me read it. Love, that's Christ, love bade me welcome. Yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful, ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. My dear, then I will serve. That's what we say. We have to earn our place in Christ's presence somehow. 
But no, you must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. We'll have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 